podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We're glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Welcome back for another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. This week, we're going to take a look at something that's not necessarily brand new, but is packed with tons of good ideas, and that is the Everyone Can Create series from Apple. And specifically this week, we're going to be focusing on some ideas that relate to the drawing book that goes along with that. And if you're not familiar with the Everyone Can Create series, it is a free series that's available in iBooks uh, through Apple. And it includes not only a teacher's guide, but there are four separate uh, books, one on drawing, one on photos, There's also one using video, and then finally, one using music. And with those four books, what's really nice about each of those is that they are geared and designed towards students working with an iPad. So in a situation like what we have in our school district where students are one-to-one with iPad, it's a great resource. Yeah. And so when we start diving in, we really want to address the fact that everybody wants to know why are we using technology? You know, we, we've taught in our classrooms for hundreds of years. We, we've been able to incorporate just textbooks, um, the instructional model where the teacher is kind of providing the information. So we really want to address why is it important to incorporate creativity in the classroom. In our district, in our strategic plan, we put a focus on disciplinary literacy, which as we've said throughout multiple episodes that we've talked about where disciplinary literacy is the simple approach of how do we get kids to read, write, speak, and think like a professional in any given discipline. So if I'm going into math class, how do I, how do I think like a mathematician, scientist, um, historian? And so when we talk about incorporating technology and creativity in the class, we really want to have the idea that this will help students understand concepts at a deeper level. We also want them to see real-life connections from the content to what they're going to see out in the real world. Too often, what we're teaching is just abstract. There's not these anchor points where some student can take background or prior knowledge and connect content to it. So using technology and creativity will allow opportunities for that to happen in a controlled environment. I think really one of the things that is important to remember just because we're using technology doesn't necessarily make it a cutting-edge activity anymore. So adding that creativity into it and giving students a lot of different tools that they can express ideas and they can put together um, projects in a way that they're being creative and kind of tapping into some of their inherent skills, uh, that's really taking it beyond just using the, the device as a replacement for pencil and paper or, for example doing a worksheet pencil and paper isn't usually very engaging. Well, Mm -hmm. the same thing's true if you're working on annotating a document on an iPad or a Chromebook, and there's not much interaction there. So when we start to tap into this creativity a little bit, you're giving the students an opportunity to really kind of open things up to, like you said, making real-world connections and bringing in some of the things that they're interested in the way that they see and perceive things. And they're taking a little bit of ownership in in that process as well. 
you know, when we talk about differentiating in a classroom, having activities that incorporate creativity and technology in, in some of the methods that we're going to discuss, uh, differentiates on its own because it's allowing the students to interact with the material at their level and how they perceive the content and how it relates to them. Which yeah, it's natural, natural differentiation. It yeah, really exactly. lends well to that. And so you're really connecting with the student on their individual level and what they feel and see as important. And so that leads us into one of our other important points is that this allows students to kind of think and view things from different perspectives. It allows the opportunity for conversation where when we can compare and contrast projects or final products between students, they can have those conversations about why their approach may be different. Yeah, it's a good starting point for conversation. And also, when you have kids producing original work, it also lends itself to opportunities, better opportunities for sharing and discussion that might not come about if we were just having a classroom discussion with question and answer and, and students raising their hand and sharing ideas. That way, when we're actually looking at original work, it sometimes brings up curiosity and a good opportunity just to discuss and ask questions that you which, might not normally get. Which was one of our previous episodes when we started talking about facilitating classroom discussion. This would be another way to connect to that. A good, a good point to kind of kick off, yeah. So there are four of these. Uh, everyone can create book, books that are produced by Apple. Um, these date all the way back to 2018. And what I've found is that I know that they're there, and I've used activities from them before, but sometimes I kind of put them off to the side. They get on the back burner, so to speak. There's a lot to them. And anytime I go back, I always seem to find something new. So right. even though they're not necessarily something that was just released this year or a year prior, there's just so much good stuff there that you can always find an idea. And even if you take that idea and adjust or adapt it to what you're doing, because like we've talked about before with technology, it's always a good idea to start with your objective and then look for the learning activities to fit that objective. So there's always something there that you can, it seems like that you can take to maybe take a new angle to give the kids a new approach to the content that you're working on. And I think that's really a nice thing as far as trying to draw them in. So we're going to just focus this week on Everyone Can Draw. And what we'll be doing is looking at different activities that span against a, against a wide range, uh, or I should say, I guess, across a wide range of content areas. And so let's start with the infographic. So an infographic, as the name implies, shares information, and it does so in a graphic way. It's a very visual activity. And the nice thing is when you're working, and this can be done across a variety of different devices, but we'll focus primarily on Apple because this is, uh, you know, this is an Apple uh, program. On the iPad, this could be done in Keynote. You could create your infographic on the background of a, of a Keynote slide. It could be done in Pages on the background of a word processing document. Or, interestingly enough, it could be done in numbers. And a lot of people don't realize that even though numbers is primarily geared towards spreadsheets, it's a lot different than Excel and also Google Sheets because you have a blank canvas and the, the spreadsheet, the cells, don't cover your entire space. So you have a lot of room there where you can put drawings, images, uh, tables with like qualitative data for example there's a lot of space there so when yeah. you're talking about an infographic that's a good place for that and and even in these documents that kind of go through the activities they do give suggestions on different ways to incorporate it as well mm -hmm. so you know if, if anybody opens these up and gets kind of lost there are recommendations as to what apps they say really work well with these different activities yeah and so um 
with that being said, you know, if we're going to focus on infographics, if you're in your everything or everybody can create teacher guide and you go into infographics, you'll actually see your description. You'll see some examples and then they even go into different content areas. And so the nice thing is, you know, Apple has already kind of done some of the, the framework for a lesson plan for anybody that's interested in incorporating technology. So you're not having to start from scratch. And so Chad and I just, you know, we really want to go through and, and identify, you know, our four cores and maybe talk through some of these different activities. Um, and so like an infographic in math, you know, that, that, that was my realm. And, and we had this conversation before on projects that we used to do and how we change them now you know, having, having the resources we do. Um, but a simple one could be incorporated in, let's say, a statistics class. Um, had a conversation with a stats teacher uh, about how they wanted to go over different distributions for students, getting them to understand the different statistical distributions and being able to associate a situation with a visual representation. And so we started to say, okay, well, as a math teacher or professional in that field, you innately can visualize it. In your mind, you can picture what those distributions are, what they represent, and how to describe them. But as a student, they, you know, they're coming in not having any of that background knowledge. And so this is where we said, you know, really focusing on that disciplinary literacy and that DL, we want to invite students in to start thinking that way. So how do we do it? We can incorporate visuals, allowing them to see almost what we see, allowing them to hear how we talk, allowing them to engage in the material in the way that we think about the material. And so in this case, we said if um, you were to have, let's say, numbers, and you could have your data represented on there. On, on a spreadsheet. On a spreadsheet, in the spreadsheet format, but you want to incorporate the, the drawing piece. You want the students to, to draw out the different distributions. Or they could even find the representations under the... Um, the graphics where it creates the uh, graphs anyway, mm -hmm. and you can you can have them put those different images there, and then label and put descriptions of them. So rather than them just putting it on paper or writing down a description as to what is what, they can actually interact with the material in in a technological format, and then they're also deep diving because they're having to provide the description, they're having to analyze the data, and they're also having to create the graphics to go with it. One of the things that teachers come to me on frequently is that when students are working on iPad, if the teacher wants them to use a spreadsheet from Google Sheets or from Excel, typically it's hard to manipulate and work with. But because numbers designed by Apple fits with iPad quite well, right. uh, it's easier for students to manipulate and work with. Much easier, I've found, than, a, than the Google Sheets app is, I think it's good in a pinch. It's very limited. But there's some limitations. Yeah. So And numbers is even scaled back a little bit on the iPad versus uh, the laptop. For sure, for sure. But as you mentioned, with trying to, to, when you bring in drawing into the equation, if you have either a Logitech crayon, an Apple pencil, or even just a, in general a, a stylus, you can actually draw on a numbers canvas and even draw over top the table. So being able to use the marker, the pencil, the crayon, those different writing mm -hmm. tools, you can draw right on there when you're trying to do, as you talk about these representations. The other thing I thought about too is that, you know, if we look at it from the perspective of a, a statistics class in a high school setting, you know, that's one way to look at where an infographic would be really helpful. But I'm thinking back to the middle school level and my time teaching math, even a topic like comparing percentages, decimals, and fractions. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, in some ways, as you said, a simple concept, but in other ways for the learner, sometimes really hard to visualize. And so if we can set that up with 
creating pictographs to represent a fraction or a percentage. What a great way to have them put together, you know, an infographic that demonstrates these mathematical concepts and then also adds some creativity where you could show some exemplars, give them some ideas of how making it visually appealing could enhance the information they're trying to represent. Oh, yeah. We, and, you know, thinking back, we even did a project, uh, mathematicians, and we, we researched, you know, what their contribution to the mathematical field was and how it tied into the content that we learned. And so... I mean, this would be another key component of that where you could have the, the image of the mathematician and then all the different pieces around it. And, you know, you're really incorporating different facets of uh, the writing, the drawing, the, the images. And, and it's not just one method, you know, like our traditional paper pencil. Right. And the other thing that I wanted to point out, if you're using keynote pages, numbers, it doesn't all have to be hand-drawn. So what you can actually do using the clip art and the shapes that can be inserted through any of those three programs or applications, you can put any type of shape or clip art in there and then either use it in that form as a, a pre-made shape or draw around uh, around it to get an outline, to get like a, maybe a framework of what you're trying to draw and then delete that shape and finish it off. So there's a lot of ways that students can use the tools that are there to kind of enhance and, and get a start. If, for example, if a student feels like drawing is really not my strong suit, I would be able to tell them as a teacher, drawing's not my strong suit either, but here's how I'm going to use the technology to enhance the visuals that I'm trying to present. And when I'm done or when I'm finished with the project, I'm going to have something that I'm proud of that, mm-hmm. looks, that looks good. And some of my limitations just, that would happen just drawing pencil and paper, I can kind of take make up for that with the technology. Right. So let's move on and talk a little bit about the idea of a language arts setting. So another infographic that could be a really nice project toward the end of a novel or a story would be to create an infographic that analyzes the plot, creating a story map. And that could include hand-drawn information. That could include uh, inserting images to help with that, shapes that are involved, um, you know, shapes from keynote, uh, from pages. So you got a lot of different things that you could integrate there to make something that's really visual and graphic. And if you think about from the standpoint of, a, of an English teacher, if you want the students to demonstrate their knowledge of the storyline, uh, what better way to do it visually? And then depending on how you set the infographic up you, with the requirements that you can have, um, still places where they have to write and share ideas that are integrated in along with that infographic. So you can kind of merge both together there. Yeah, I, I mean, as soon as you started talking about story map, I, I pictured most English teachers have a very standard type format that they mm-hmm. want the students to fill out. You know, they could have that as the template, and mm-hmm. everything else is the student having to enter the description. They have to draw, you know, maybe what the scene is representing, uh, you know, for the conflict. They, they can have all these different pieces that they're adding onto the template itself, so that yeah. way it's consistent among all students, but the self-expression is still there. I I love it because what you're doing is you're giving the students, instead of just a blank space, which we know can be like a major, like a mental block for so many students, you're giving them the framework so they don't have to be concerned about what do I actually need in here? What do you want from me? Like you're giving them that structure in the template. And as you said, then they have that opportunity to be creative beyond that. And you should get several very different looking pieces of work by mm-hmm. the end where you're not getting a cookie cutter. I, I think back to different things I did in science. And sometimes I know that things I created didn't have enough opportunity for students to be creative if every single <laughs> one that I was grading looked the same. 
All right, so next we want to look at our uh, social studies. And, and so one that we kind of talked about was maybe a news illustration of a current event or a historical event. And so, you know, I don't think there's any shortage of events in, in history or even today uh, that, that can be relevant in conversation in, in a social studies class. And, and so maybe the activity could incorporate students identifying an event or you could look at, if you're talking about um, World War II, pretty comprehensive, a lot of people involved, students could maybe find a piece of that event or that time era, and then they create an infographic based on that. They could have uh, the key players. So if, if you're looking at, you know, Axis and Allies, they could have all the people that were there, what they represented, and, and then the different conflicts. Um, you could also have maybe a, a connection map on how the, the, you know, who were the world powers, what were their impacts, uh, or it could go all the way down to a single person where it doesn't need to be this big um, picture or broad scope. It could be really delved down into a single person or event rather than the big picture. I was just thinking about from an American history topic in the Civil War, if you were to look at during the Civil War different battles that occurred, Mm -hmm. and then with the infographic using kind of a a graphic representation of Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers and the number of casualties per, if you were trying to compare those different battles just to see uh, which ones resulted in greater number of casualties and the scope of kind of all the different things that took place throughout. Yeah, so they're analyzing, you know, the different battles, but then they're kind of having to bring in the historical context to really understand what each piece means. There's that research and the analytical piece that are all kind of being tied in. And even when I think about the idea of when you go into the shapes, you know, if you were representing soldiers in each of the battles, plenty of different types of clip art that you could use, and then to put a legend on there for each one, how many soldiers that would represent, and then build those out to kind of show the visual of actually comparing um, from battle to battle and being able to visually see the magnitude of, you know, the casualties and the loss per battle. So. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing my math mind's going to uh, pie charts or uh, growth trends. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about, you know, casualties uh, per, per battle and then over time. Uh, and as we're talking about this, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, there is no set way to do an infographic. No. You know, I, I, I think when we brought that up, that would be a key thing to say at this point of, it really is no set template. It, a teacher has freedom in what they want or a student has freedom in how they want to create. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to keep in mind as well. And it really, to me, puts a little bit of an onus on the teacher to be able to say, I need to really frame this in a way that I can get students focused in the right direction so that their energy is is going to be mostly spent on the creativity side of it and representation and not trying to figure out where do I start, what am I even supposed to do here. So you really have to spend some time kind of setting them up for success by showing them some examples, really making clear what is it we're trying to prove or show with this activity, and then giving them some ways to get started so that they're not just looking at that blank slate and, you know, getting that block trying to get started. Like you said, the expectation, maybe even a rubric, and I know Apple even had some of those incorporated. When you dive into the everyone can draw booklet itself and not just the teacher guide. Yeah. So the last example in science, it makes me think back to a topic that was an important part of seventh grade science for a number of years when I taught that content area, and that was the difference between weather and climate. And especially when we're looking at climate, data is a big part of that. So Mm -hmm. you'd be able to look at 
um, different places and over a long period of time, comparing temperature trends, precipitation, whether it's rain, snowfall, and what a great place for an infographic if you're trying to show how things have changed over time, or maybe if you're even realizing by looking at the data that some things kind of cycle through or um, even in some ways stay the same. Yeah, I always picture the uh, precipitation cycle. Oh, the water cycle? The water cycle, that's it. Yeah. They have, I think every science class has kids draw that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, you know, that could be incorporated somewhere in that. Um, Yeah, I think think when you're leaning on science, because it it does pull in your math and your ELA, the the strengths of both, you you probably have a lot more capability, uh, probably a lot more creativity in this area. But that shouldn't deter any of our other contents from thinking through that, you know, I think that the, it's limitless um, as far as the boundaries are for all the contents, but I'm picturing science. And, you know, there's a lot of drawing when you're in a lab or things like that that allow science to really lend itself to an infographic. Yeah. And I just something just came into my mind as you were talking about the idea of the water cycle. So you are right. In any middle school classroom or some elementary school classrooms, <clears throat> drawing out the water cycle it's like a time that's like a timeless type activity (laughs) but here's the thing an infographic doesn't have to be necessarily a pictograph it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to always represent quantitative uh, quantitative data so if i were having the students make an infographic on the water cycle part of the water cycle is precipitation yeah there's many different types of precipitation so my infographic could contain a lot of visual representations in that part of the cycle of different types of precipitation whether it's rain whether it's snowfall whether it's ice whatever the case is in in that regard condensation there's a lot of different places that that can occur so it, it can be quantitative but some of it can be more on the qualitative side just showing different examples which i think you know in a science setting you get a lot of opportunities to do that so to really bring all that together i'm thinking you know this is allowing students to to really dive into content and then represent the content on how they perceive it and so when we really talk about dl and getting the students to think like the professional in that given discipline this is i mean this is an easy step forward to do so i mean the the fact it incorporates thinking like the the professional the the writing um and and even speaking when they start to get into maybe that discussion piece it incorporates all of our key components of, of adolescent to disciplinary literacy. And so, you know, where it may be intimidating to jump in, but like you said, there are all these different methods in which we can do so. Yeah. So now that we've finished up with some ideas across the different content areas for infographics, we're going to take a look at one other thing that really stands out in the Everyone Can Create uh, drawing book, and that is word art. So most of us at some point, whether it's with a PowerPoint presentation, a Google slide deck, most of us have incorporated word art in a digital format like, like that before. But everyone can create takes it a little bit different direction. What they actually look at is if you're using Apple Pencil, if in our case in our district we have Logitech crayons, if you're using a Logitech crayon or even just a basic stylus, This booklet goes through how to let students use the different tools available to them to actually create different types of word art. Uh, Maybe it's a three-dimensional font. Maybe it's bubble letters. Maybe it's an an angled uh, 
font that has each each of the different characters is filled with graphics inside that the students create themselves. So word art is a really interesting way to express ideas because depending on how you design the font, it can go a long way to, to conveying ideas. Yeah, and, and so when we look at math, uh, we obviously always tend to stay away from from words, right? We're, we're definitely analytical in that way, but we always have the conversation that key vocabulary is important. And so artistic math by using word art would be an introductory way to bring up maybe a new concept or new vocabulary terms. Uh, having the student, you know, draw out the word in big block or big bubble letters. I know kids love drawing that because you see it all over their papers. But then maybe in the word, having them incorporate some part of the definition or visual representation. Yeah. And I just thought of a geometry example um, right off the top of my head. So think about the difference between obtuse and acute angles. Mm, yeah. And if you were to draw your, your word art in a way, like in a vocabulary journal, to represent like with big, like wide letters for obtuse. Oh, yeah. And then like a really like flattened narrow for acute being less than. We used to do like smaller than degrees. 90 degrees for the A. So, that, you know, you could tell and draw the little angle up in the A. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly, lending itself to to understanding visually what those words represent. Right. One of the things that's important when you're working with word art that I've found is that students, if they if they start to create it and they don't like the the way that it looks, they're going to get frustrated really fast. Yeah. So there's certain things that you can guide them with and take them through as you're teaching them. For example, in a in a keynote slide, if it's a totally blank slate and they're trying to start with some word art. Uh, inserting two lines, two parallel lines to give them guides for sketching it out is a great way to get started. And then once you get the word art built inside those lines, then you just delete the lines out of there. So, and then you can even just put those two lines in there and then using like the, the drag and drop features, you can move them around the screen so that as you create each of the different um, word art sections you want, you can use those guidelines to keep everything lined up. Nice. That's a great idea. I, I can't tell you how many times you give a kid a task like this and they really take that creative piece to heart. More seriously than the content a lot of times. Exactly. But now you're able to tie them both together. Right. And that's, it, that, if it's done well, that's yes. the idea. You're, you're bringing that in in a way that it's not just a quote-unquote fun project, but it's actually really advancing your content. And I'm even thinking, um, you know, it's kind of a jigsaw method if you're talking about new vocabulary, and you maybe have quite a few coming into a new unit. You could have students partner up. And then they each take one of the words, create the visual uh, representation through the word itself, and then they have to talk about it to the rest of the class. Mm -hmm. And so then they can share it out to each other, and then you almost create a slide, slide deck of, you know, like a class dictionary. Yeah. And if you're doing that with, like, students who have some natural ability and talent where they create these in a word art format, you could get some really great stuff that would even be worth compiling and using, like, year after year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One, one thing to point out, it, for those who aren't familiar with uh, drawing on an iPad, whether you're in Keynote with a blank slide, whether you have a, a document in pages or even a, a background in numbers, a canvas in numbers, once you um, connect the stylus, if it's an Apple Pencil or a Logitech crayon, you're going to get a variety of drawing tools. So you've got not only a pen which you can select a variety of colors and change how dark or how light that pen is when you write on screen. But you're also going to get a pencil, which gives you a completely different look, like almost like colored pencils, and then even a crayon. 
and then some have brushes too, depending on and the depending, app. yeah. If you were to go into like a school sketch or something like yep. that, where there's into now for me, this is interesting because usually I don't consider technology overwhelming, but in the school sketches, there's so many brushes and calligraphy pens and all kinds of stuff. To be an stuff. artist, you, you would know what you're selecting. Me, right. it's just okay. That, I'm Apple's tools that come uh, the markups, in, I'm okay with. There, that's enough for me. <laughs> um, and, and in addition to those different pens, crayons, pencils, there's also the, the paint fill, which is really nice for word art. Mm-hmm. So as long as the students completely enclose their, let's say they draw their, their block letter, as long as all the lines are completely enclosed, they can use that fill tool and just pick their color and tap and fill the entire thing. So once they start to learn where, there's to, where those tools are at and they start working through those, they can really start to develop those skills where it goes much faster and they know what's there and they're th- kind of thinking and planning. And I just like the kinesthetics of it as they're thinking about right. the concept. So let's move on and let's talk a little bit about a, an example that would work in a, a language arts or an English setting. And that would be what we would call significant vocabulary. So if you're thinking about important vocabulary, whether it's in a work of literature like a novel or a short story, maybe even significant vocabulary in an informational text, you could design and create word art to represent some of those significant terms. And think about how much, as opposed to just a word and a definition, think about that old school, um, here's your term, let's write the definition. And we all know that that's usually not super effective. It can be good at keeping kids busy sometimes, but not super effective for retention. And I would argue even more today, given the access to technology, where copy and paste is very, it's so common. Yeah, very less, much less important. Than I'm not opening a dictionary. I'm not even writing it down. I'm not even having to look at what the words are. I just copy, paste, and move I'm on. I'm just executing a task. Exactly. But think about if they're actually creating word art and using um, design, shapes, colors to represent what those different words have to do with or mean in the context of the story, mm-hmm. you're really... They, in order for them to complete that task, they have to have some understanding of the story. You can't, as you mentioned, the idea of copying and pasting definitions, you can't fake it on that because if you don't know anything about the story, how can you come up with a creative way to represent what it's about? It's a blank about? word. Right, it's a word that has no <laughs> meaning. So, yeah. so it really is more of an authentic way of gauging someone's, you know, gauging someone's um, understanding and ideas as opposed to just giving them a task that anybody can complete by looking something up and copying it, and even in a digital space, copying and pasting. Think about when we talked about chat GPT. Oh, yeah. If you're asking them to create work like this to represent information from a story, uh, AI is pretty good, but it's not to the point where you can fake something like this yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these type of activities kind of like circumvent uh, some of those uh, methods students might use to not have to do what they're asked to do. Yeah, and I'm thinking from a teacher's standpoint, this this may be, we may think of it as just a, a quick creative project, but I'm even, in uh, the description you're saying, if I'm reading a story, I'm creating, a, taking a word from it and having to give the representation on key events that are happening, that's also going to give me their, uh, you know, depth of understanding of what we're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, how well do they comprehend I mean, it's almost a reading between the lines from a teacher standpoint, mm-hmm. but that's a quick way to kind of gauge, um, you know, where are you at with this material? Well, think about what you just mentioned, too. It, this project is an important part of the process. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're just going to roll out like a, a art project, a digital art project, and they're going to do that as just 
a standalone. It's part of it the process. It could be perceived that way, depending on how well it's implemented. Right, but if it's implemented the right way, it's, it's really not because you're still reading the story. Yep. You're still discussing the story, most likely taking notes on the story, and then this is a, a way to kind of bring that all together in kind of an accumulative way, show what the students have gathered from it, and hopefully in a way that engages them and then gives you even maybe an angle for even more discussion once you start to compare some of their work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this can go as deep as you want it to go, like you said, based on how you implement it, which then, you know, lets me think about our social studies example, um, which really connects to looking at current events uh, or maybe historical texts and pulling out key terms. And so like this one was called words in the news. And so if students are reading different articles that maybe relate to the same type of event and they pull out a common term, this could be what they perceive as being the most important piece in all of the text. And then they provide the imagery um, to their word art that would then encompass what the articles are discussing. Mm-hmm. So think about it this way. If I'm, if I'm teaching a history class, I'm, I'm just going to take a, maybe um, American history and we're looking at a current events. And you give the students an article uh, basically to read or maybe even a video clip to watch. Yep. And you ask them as a group to think about what, what term, and you could even give them a word bank to do this, which term is, the, is basically like the most encapsulating of the main idea of this article or this video clip that we watched. And wouldn't that be an interesting discussion to have each student who makes it, uh, an info, like a little um, word art diagram of that word and, and using colors and sketches and things to determine like why they pick that as the most yeah. important. And then from there, the discussion that could ensue on why did you pick this word versus why another student picked another and, and maybe whose argument might be a little bit more on point. Then you're having a little bit of in-class debate about this mm-hmm. and then they're having to provide evidence and, and back it up and you're really diving into what that realm of social studies would encompass. Right. And, and it's that much more authentic because I'm not the one who's scripting provide, it. I'm, yeah, right. I'm not scripting the discussion, providing the question, hoping for these responses. They're basically discussing their own ideas, which is really where you want to be. That's a, that's a higher level to be on a discussion when they're discussing their own ideas and why they made choices that they did as opposed to, quote, unquote, answering questions. And I think back to our... Uh, one of our last podcasts we talked about that classroom discussion and I think that you just hit on a key point you know this is allowing them that that organic conversation and debate but you can almost plan for it if if you kind of you know put that piece in there that we're going to lean that direction this is a a way to intentionally plan for a discussion without explicitly saying we're doing Mm -hmm. a discussion yeah it's part of it's part of your lesson for that particular day you know it's going to come about and you then, hope it comes about. I mean, that's what you're right. encouraging. Uh, right. But you could even have, at, if you structure it in a time session where after they're done creating and you've given that, even if they have time outside of class, and then when you come back, we're going to revisit those. We're going to put some up on the screen. And I've found, as I've mentioned before, I've found that a lot of kids are much more willing to put digital work up on the screen than they are to raise their hand and, and provide hmm. an idea. So. You know, you could share some different examples from the students who want to share. And then a lot of times it's kind of a snowball effect as a few students share. Others say, hey, I'd like to have mine. So open up, get a little more comfortable. people get more comfortable and it kind of opens up. So um, that would be great, as you said, in a social studies setting with a current event or even with a historical event there um, when it comes to the idea of words in the news. Although words in the news would apply a little bit more of current events, I can still see where it could be. But I can picture it across. Words from history or something like that, yeah. 
So finishing up as we talk about word art, science, as many people often say, is almost like a language all of its own. No kidding. So vocabulary is really a big part of the instruction and what we do because as we talk about different key ideas, if the students don't understand the vocabulary, they don't get very far in their understanding. And one of the ideas that's given in the Everyone Can Create book as far as uh, a science idea would be the topic of cell division. And so you think about high school biology, that's going to be one of the topics Mm -hmm. that they touch on cell division. And you could actually go through and and draw block letters for the words mitosis and meiosis, which are the two parts of cell division there. And inside those block letters, using shapes, lines, shading, sketching, however you you decide to go about that, to represent the differences between mitosis and meiosis. And then when you're finished, you actually have a product. And again, that could start on a blank slide in Keynote. Um, that one probably, as we talked about how in, in different cases you could use numbers, I probably wouldn't lean toward numbers in that, but whether it's pages or whether it's Keynote. Uh, you know, Apple also, as of uh, now in iPad OS 16, Freeform is, a, oh, is yeah. a great place for sketching things out like that. And Freeform, I, I like that compared to Keynote from depending on the application because it gives you a much bigger canvas to draw on. Um, you know, Keynote, you're kind of limited to the size of your slide. Right. But here's the other side of it. There's a time when I might think about using Keynote for this because one of the things Keynote will allow you to do is actually do like an animation of your drawing. Think about those commercials that you would see with whiteboard drawings. Oh, right. You can actually animate your drawings in Keynote to create that type of thing. And that'd be cool in this case where you're representing cell division with your words. I mean, you could almost visually represent that. You could have those animated drawings if you had... If the teacher's able to guide the students and take them along, you know, to that level, they could actually use right. that. You do have to teach the student how to how to work 100%. through and navigate through these tools. These things are not just going to like happen. They're not just going to happen organically to get to the level we want them to get mm-hmm. to. You really do have to. To to me, I've and I've seen this done. And I've seen it done well. You're not only teaching the content, but you're simultaneously instructing on how we're going to use the technology to represent these different steps. Anything that we teach in class, we're going to model at some level. Right. The teacher needs to be able to model some of these tech skills to help the students see, hey, as a teacher, I can do it, and I'm going to model this for you and let you practice a little bit, and then you're going to start to build you know, your skills as you go and get better and better. Which if you have those as um, consistent pieces of your framework, you can use them all year long. And, and everyone cr- can create series. That, I mean, they reference pretty much the same set of apps. So it's not like, you know, when you keep saying keynote pages, uh, they even bring up Sketches School. But, you know, there's a lot there that, um, I mean, even these ones incorporate. Well, and Freeform didn't exist Freeform, when, this, yeah. when this series first came about. But that's the thing I, I really just, I can't stress enough is that every time I go back to these, you know, we over the summer, each of us worked on the Apple Learning Coach program. Every time I revisit these, I always find something new that right. I'd, I'd either like to try with a group, whether it's PD for teachers or for students, or like to see teachers integrate and use. And so these are, even even five years later, are still very valuable, especially, oh, yeah. with, especially with iPad. And the other thing that I would say is this. Now, when it comes to everyone can draw, unless you're dealing with a, a touchscreen-type device, drawing on a, on a Chromebook or on a computer not going to be as an effective thing. 
but that's not to say that as we talk about some of these different uh, activities as we move on and talk about photo-based activities, video, music, moving forward, a lot of those things would definitely be able to relate to a, a computer or a, mm-hmm. a Chromebook environment. Now, that doesn't say that none of these activities can't be done paper-pencil with with all the different resources. So, you know, if, if you're in a Chrome district, you, you can still take some of these ideas and, and make them in a more traditional... Adapt. That's true, yeah. too. Use some... Well, when I like to talk about the difference between, like, a digital activity versus what I would call analog or, yeah. like, you know, yeah. an unplugged activity. You're exactly right. You could really... And, and you know, the, here's the other thing not to discount. As much time as students spend on screens, both in their personal time and at school, if you as the teacher can develop a really good activity that involves materials and kind of unplugs them from that, sometimes you can be kind of a breath of fresh air in their day. Yeah, so, which I think both of these, the infographic and the word art, would lend itself to a more uh, analog approach. I, I don't disagree at all. You're missing out on the multimedia approach or, or the ease of access for some of the other tools because... You know, your classroom is probably very limited in some of the resources, but the ability is still there. Yeah. So this brings us to the end of the episode. And today we focused mainly on the Everyone Can Create drawing book uh, just because there's so many good ideas in there. We really only scratched the surface of that book. We'll come back in future episodes and look at some ways that you can integrate Everyone Can Create Photos, uh, as well as the music and the video books as well. If you haven't downloaded those yet, you know, head over to the uh, iBooks app or uh, Apple's uh, Books, and you can download all those for free, including the teacher's guide that we referenced today. One other thing I just want to point out, too, as far as for the, for the littles, um, there's an early learner's version yeah. of that, too. So there's some ways to integrate that with, with really young kids. And uh, check the description of the podcast. We'll have some links to the resources that we've mentioned today. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.